You're listening to Behind the Wheel on RacingJunk.com. You've read the stories of the drivers and others involved in the sport that we all love. Now hear their stories firsthand via our all-new podcast to find out how their passion for motorsports has made life worth living. We're going to kick things off with an inspiring driver, one who overcame what most would deem the most insurmountable odds possible to continue to inspire others to never give up on their dreams to become involved in racing. So tune in, gearheads, and let NASCAR and dirt racing legend Shane Mill, along with his brother Tyler Mill, tell you why even paralysis won't stop him from being involved in the sport that he fell in love with as a kid. How did you boys get into racing? Give me the history of Shane and Tyler. I didn't really get into racing until I was about 18. I got out of uh, high school, decided to go to college for a year, Uh, was home by spring break at East Carolina, so that was a good time, and uh my brother was starting to get a little bit of fame locally, uh, winning at Concord uh, in North Carolina and then getting into the the uh, Dash series. And uh, I jumped on a board. I think I was allowed to clean more than I was anything back in them days. And then I just went with him after that everywhere he went. I know that's the truth. Right. That's, that's how Tyler joined up. I mean, it was an exciting thing for me because I had never raced with him and I'd never really raced with my dad. So I was always with someone that had nothing to do with my family. Now, everybody always cared and wanted me to win. But um, Tyler, he would always do anything it took to make sure I won. Actually, truth is, I would have never won the truck race if it wasn't for what all he had to do to get that final tire on anyway. How did you actually get into the racing? Where did you start? Did you start truck, car, dirt? Where did you start? started go-kart racing when I was nine. I... um. Went to Liberty Raceway Park, or little go-kart track, 10 minutes from my house. And uh, I was about seven or eight years old. And um, my dad and mom said if I cut my rat tail off, that they would get me a go-kart. And that was not true. They just wanted to cut my rat tail off, which <laughs> I'm glad that happened now, too. But So I was going to ask, was it your dad that was more of an influence in you getting in, or was it the rat tail that was more of an influence in you getting in? My dad being gone away from home my whole life yeah. uh, was my main influence in getting into racing for the simple fact that I knew if I raced and was decent at it, I would get to be around him and uh have something to talk about because that's all he's ever cared about it's going to be boring talk at dinner if you didn't know anything about race cars i think the rat tail was just the key to get into uh liberty right i think that was the only way that you were allowed at the racetrack right you had to have like a sleeveless shirt and a rat tail so do you feel like you were pressured to get in shane oh no my uh my dad pushed me away as much as anybody would it was something like look it takes this to do this. You know, you, you, you got to be focused. You got to do this, that, and the other. My dad set a, a really, really good plan on how I was to understand racing. And it was lucky. I mean, I mean, I was lucky. I got to fly on private airplanes listening to Mark Martin talk about his testing day all day and what the car felt like and what the brakes changes felt like and this and that. And then... You know, once I started to understand what Mark was actually saying, eventually one day I got to explain that same thing. And if I already got a chance to break it down 10 years earlier, it made it easier on me. 
and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Attention racers, race fans, and gearheads. If you're looking to buy, sell, or trade the stuff that stokes your engine, then check out RacingJunk.com. RacingJunk.com is the world's number one online racing and performance classifieds where you'll find what you need to rock your ride. Check us out at RacingJunk.com. Racing and performance classifieds built to go fast. Now let's get back to some conversation. So started as go-kart driving. How did that parlay into truck, car? And which one do you like most? If I had to say my my favorite race car to drive is probably still bush car or truck somewhere at a mile and a half or a two-mile speedway. I need to be right next to 200 miles an hour. That's when I was always good, when I had to be faster and not really braver, but just a little bit. No, you had to have enough confidence to say, if that guy just went in there and made it through the corner, I know I can. So that's where I want to be is at a mile and a half or a two-mile speedway in a truck or I guess it's Xfinity now. How'd that work for you that time that uh, Mark Martin sailed it in on you at California? Yeah, I thought I had him beat, and um, I really did. It was Mark Martin, Matt Kenseth, and me. I was a 24-year-old kid, thought I had it done. I'd already come from last in the race. And uh, when Mark turned off into the corner, he left black marks. He turned so hard off the wall. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Just couldn't do it. I mean, that's why he's one of the best race car drivers of all time. So what was it like going from having a dad that always talked about NASCAR to I'm in a car? amazing for me to get to have the opportunities that i got was really really cool because so many opportunities i had were through people that i had known since i was that little pain in the ass kid that was in the garage in the way moving the the jack and trying to put the jack stands under the car or make sure everybody had fresh knee pads to change tires in and stuff like that. I was just always in the way. You know, I was a little bitty grunt. And it was just something that I I remember. I I run fifth in my first bush race, and it was at Daytona. And it was really cool because I was the first bush series guy, or regular. And uh, second week of the year, I went to Rockingham, which was 60 miles from home. And... Gosh, I qualified on the outside pole. I felt like I drove there a thousand laps and all it was from just watching for years and years. And that's when I felt like, man, if I don't ever drive a car another day, I did what I wanted to do. All right. We heard a little bit about Tyler's background, Shane's history. Shane, you went from NASCAR to dirt racing. Yep. How did that progress? How did that come about and why? Well, to be honest with you, nobody uh, that had any anything to do with any pavement racing wanted anything to do with Shane Mill. Uh, at that time, I was coming back from fresh out of rehab. People were still nervous. I'd already messed up twice. Who's to say I wasn't going to strike out? What do you mean you messed up? Well, I'd failed two drug tests. For First one was for marijuana, and the second one was for cocaine. And the first one when I was 20 three years old and the second one i was 25 years old and um so fast life living down there is that what you're saying well no i was fast life living before that it was something to come to find out i was misdiagnosed with adhd my whole life 
and I, um, I'm actually bipolar level two. So I'm happy, 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 or mad. Right. My whole life, uh, all I took was your uppers and this and that to, con- you know, because it works as opposites against people who uh, do have the ADHD and whatnot. And um, the stuff never worked for me. And I uh, medically use marijuana to slow my mind down. And uh, I learned that July 23rd, 2007, when I checked into rehab. And I really knew it when I graduated October 17th, 2007. Tyler, what was that like for you, seeing this happen? It was tough because you had a guy that had it by the balls, you know. And next thing you know, he's at your house spending the night on your couch. You're going out of town, and then he comes... You come home from a race, and he's hanging out with some friends on your couch at 2 in the morning. You're like, what's going on here? And then uh, he literally was living across the apartment complex parking lot from me, and I had my own place, and he was with two of our buddies, and he could come in, and he sat down, and he goes, look, man, uh, I'm going to be gone for a few months. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to be gone for a few months? And he had just uh, hurt his hand in a fight, and he had surgery, and I think noticing that uh, he wasn't regulating <clears throat> some of the drugs they had given him right, he was got a little weird on those a few times. I think he realized that his life was a little out of control. Mm-hmm. And from there, he said, hey, man, I- I'm going to be gone for 90 days. Um, he went. He did it. He ended up being the MC of it, gave me the coin. I still carry the coin in my wallet every day for his <laughs> sobriety. Um, it was a touching part of our lives it was we were starting over and getting back to doing what we always did which was racing did you see it coming i mean as his brother you were around him day in and day out uh, but on the track off the track did you see it coming yeah i I lived with him did you try to stop it you can't stop somebody that's that headstrong and i'm not gonna say i was a saint myself right you know so who am i to go hey man you know when i'm sitting beside you do you think that the track life had anything to do with it? The pressures, the rigors, the stress? Nah, we just had too much too quick. I mean, it wasn't stress or nothing. That's the easy part. That's what we've seen our whole lives. It's just you can't give kids. Like I played hooky from work one day, and he got his first check from running a cup car. And next thing we know, we're at Best Buy buying a 55-inch Dang, a flat screen back before you even had stuff like that with whatever you needed. and $11,000. Yeah, $11,000. Oh. Later, we're sitting in our house on the lake with a big view, a big boat out front. I mean, we just, too much too quick, you know? Living the life. Oh, it was a blast. I went from making $50 a day putting in septic tanks to making well over $100,000 in a day. I didn't know any better, so... Hey, I, w- I wouldn't pass anything up that I've done. There are a couple of drug tests I would have I would have passed by now, but I, I do have to say, uh, failing those drug tests are a lot of the reason that I'm as strong as I am now. Um, I would have never, I would have never been able to fight through near the things I've been able to fight through now just because the mishaps if you want to call them mishaps, because it, it it's all become almost like gold. You mentioned that when you came out, nobody wanted to have anything to do with Shane Mill. The racing community and the racing family is just that. It's a family. Was that the sponsors that didn't want to have anything to do with you, or was that 
the people in general? Did they just did they support you? Did they hang you out to dry? Well, it was uh I'd have to say fifty fifty. You know, the guys that knew me and had worked with me knew that I wasn't just some druggy using drugs right. night for race, staying up all night, uh hungover racing. You know, I cared a lot about racing. It was the number one thing is what I woke up for, is what I went to sleep for. But um, I just can't. Can't really say that there was overwhelming on either way, no. good or bad. No, I, it's just uh, it was something to where people were nervous, So, which I understand why they were nervous. You know, like I said, within 18 months, I'd failed two drug tests. And... Um, Lucky enough, um, Lauren Rainier, uh, who was the head guy, he was one of the head guys at Ganassi, and that's where my dad was working. And he he asked my dad, "Hey, does Shane care about you know driving anymore?" I don't know. I'm I'm sure Shane would love to drive. So we worked a little deal together. Uh, Lauren Rainier and uh, Brian Clawson's father, Tim Clawson, put a deal together, and I went to California and I won the first. Three races. I uh, two of them were in a midget. One was in a sprint car. And thanks to USAC, United States Auto Club, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic racing association, Auto Club, they were the first ones that let me in, and they they uh, they trusted me. I had to take multiple lots of drug tests for them. I had right. to be ready for them all the time, which is cool. I mean, it, it made me feel better too, so that I could say. You know, there was times I heard drivers say, oh, yeah, this Shane was brother. And right. I'm like, okay, we'll go, we'll go talk to USAC, and they'll tell you, hey, yeah, he had a clean test. He wasn't using drugs. He might be crazy as hell, and you might have thought he was <laughs> using drugs, but that's just him. That's just the way he is. Yeah. So you come back, you're riding high, things are looking up. And a lot of people probably don't know this, but you had a bad accident. Yes, I did. I had a... I had a lot of stuff really good going for me. I had IRL teams talking to me. Mm-hmm. I had I thought I was going to get to where I was going to be a full-time racer again. I was going to get to wake up, worry about working out and going to bed and then racing Thursday through Sunday. But um that didn't happen. I got in a wreck at Terre Haute Raceway in uh Terre Haute, Indiana. I was one of the I was in one of the greatest cars, one of the safest cars. Um, it was set up correctly. I just made a mistake and drove too hard and ended up head first into the wall. I broke my C4 through 7 in my neck, uh, T3 through 5, tore my carotid artery. My brother knows more about what happened to me than I do. I got to watch it all. It was uh, it was crazy because he'd go from, he'd breathe literally three times a minute, and we're in the neuro ICU of, is it a Methodist up yeah. there, I believe, in Indiana? Indianapolis. Before we even get to that, I'm just looking at the uh, Facebook at home, mm-hmm. about to go to dinner with my girlfriend of the time, and I'm scrolling, and all of a sudden I just see R.I.P. Shane Mill. And I'm like, what now? And I know they're about to run Terre Haute and the Crown Car, and he's got a hurt back. But what, what are they talking about? I call my mom, and I find out we fly up. One thing leads to another. He uh, C4 through C5. Uh, ripped his carotid artery on the left side, so they had to go in and do surgery that had never been done. They went up one side of his carotid artery mm-hmm. and back across and put balloons and other stuff that they were talking about. I don't know. I, 
I ain't that smart. Wow. But at the same time, it had but never you know been it was done. Intense. Yeah. 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 I mean, anytime they go in through your groin, yeah. to get to your brain, and then go over your brain stem and back down to fix something, that's crazy to me. You know what I mean? And then two major back surgeries, uh, screws and bolts in his clavicle. And when you saw him, the weird part was he had two stitches right here from where he's right in the middle of his eyes. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say right here in point because I'm on radio, obviously. But um, <laughs> right in the middle of his eyes, that's all it was. There was no swelling, no nothing. They come in that night. They say, we don't think he's got any spinal cord injury. You're like, all right, that's cool. That's right. cool. Here we go. You know, and my dad's already calling like, hey, IRL can, you know, he might have to have rods in his back because we know his back's broken really bad. Right. Uh, so my dad's already calling, you know, should we do nine-inch rods, 18-inch rods, 18 will work the best, yada, yada, yada. Um, IRL's like, yeah, that works, you know, and um, come in the next day and you're talking to a doctor and he goes, uh, hey, y'all might want to be ready to build ramps. He's probably going to be on a vest, uh, a, a ventilator the rest of his life. And me and my dad about fall out because four hours earlier, everything was okay. Right. And so I went from, why is it RIP Shane Mill on Facebook to it's going to be all right to it ain't going to be all right. And now I'd say that we're all right. We're getting back to what we've always done. Uh, we build some go-karts here and there and things like that. And we're going to head back to, we're going to be back in a victory lane soon enough. And Shane's condition now. What is it? Uh, unless something changes in science where they allow um, uh, what are, the uh, stem cells mm-hmm. uh, or he gets a, they make exoskeletons better, he's probably going to get to hang out in a wheelchair for a little bit, which is fine by me because I'd rather him be in a chair than and have his brain right. be able to talk to me than be able to walk around and not have his brain. Right. You know, that just seems logical to me to probably everybody. Obviously, Shane, going from where you were to the accident happening, what was the biggest takeaway? Was was there a wake-up moment that happened there? After the accident? After the accident. Well, yes, he there was. He finally found out his balls are bigger than his brain. Yeah. <laughs> that. I, I'd, prove, I'd proven that a lot. <laughs> but I woke up, my first memory was November 17th. I was flying from North Carolina to Atlanta. To go to Shepherd's Spinal Cord Institute. It's an amazing place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I woke up and I'm looking around and I see all these people surrounding me. And I said, Mom, what's going on? And uh, she starts crying a little bit. She said, Shane, you got in a wreck and you're paralyzed, but it's temporary. So, the temporary. So, from the first time I woke up, the ball was rolling to I'm getting better. Right. And then I remember at one time, you know, I had 12 bags hooked to me, IV bags or whatever. And they, the doctor comes and says, well, we're going to have our little, we're going to look at you and, you know, tell you how we think you're going to do. And the doctor says, well, we don't think you'll ever walk again. You're not going to roll over. You're not going to do any of this stuff. And I drug all those bags and IVs and I drug them all out the room because that guy didn't know me. All he knew was medicine. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more things that go in to someone healing. And that's belief, you know, that's hard work. 
I mean, there's a thousand things that I've learned so far that can make this spinal cord injury get better. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's about like everything else. Hard work overcomes it all. Did you know right away that you were going to go back to racing? Oh, yeah. I was. Uh, I crashed October 9th. February or March, I was already back to Ocala, Florida, watching sprint cars. So, I mean. Can't get it out of you. No, I had a terribly traumatic brain injury, too. And um, it's something that's really weird that I can't believe I was even there. I I remember my brother used to tell me how I um, used to say, hey, come on, man, I got this vent, but we can go to the track. You know, I used to tell him I could get it. You could pull it on a generator, and that would keep the vent going. That way, I could watch him at the racetracks. It was really creepy. Like you were like, "All right, bud, I got you." <laughs> you know, like I, just, I'm not going through all this. Right. Got to pull a generator. I barely you? hit my head, just a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, what made you decide to go back to grassroots racing? Ah. Uh, like most people, it's probably just because it's cheaper. You know what I mean? You can't just jump right up into big leagues without big league money. Right. You know, and we already had stuff laying around, like his midgets and his sprint cars and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I would think. It helped, too. Um, Levi Jones was one of my best friends, and he hadn't won a lot of midget races. Uh, people always gave him hell because he won Silver Crown sprint car races all the time and they used to say he just couldn't drive a midget and uh first race out on our car he won on my one year anniversary of breaking my neck and uh it was amazing it was a big race it was one of those deals to where the engine had blown up i had to write a check that wasn't good at the time i wrote it but I knew that if I made the race, that it was going to be good. But right. Hell, we ended up winning, and that check was by far good. <laughs> so it was a great, man. Um, it was something that made it to where I got to do a lot more things than I thought I was going to do. It got me connected with great clips mm-hmm. who I've been uh, fortunate enough to be a motivational speaker for. I get to go... Um, to all sorts of, I don't know, it'll be a Boy Scouts thing, it'll be a Boys and Girls Club, uh, it'll be a church, it'll be just a, a big Great Clips meeting with thousands of stylists. Um, right. Connecting with the people. Yeah, and that's... That's what grassroots racing is all about. It, it is to me. I mean... Do you guys have a passion for grace, for, for, for grassroots racing for real, or... Do you say, you know what, it's good because we're here, but we really want to be at the Sprint Cup. Or, excuse me, Winston Cup. I still call That's it that right. down here. That's right. Or is uh, it is it grassroots? Is it grassroots the passion? Is that the drive? I've had chances to go back in the uh, top levels, as they would say, of, of NASCAR. And I wouldn't do it again. Right. It's, it's You pretty much got an Indy car, really, nowadays. I mean... Pretty much all the same stuff. You can't move bodies. You can't. I mean, you have to figure out engineered ways to make them faster. Right. It's not, you know, some old boy from down in Georgia trying to 
you know, figure out caster or cambers. You know, right. something dumb like that. I mean, back when Richard Petty used to win all the time, I used to ask my dad, I'm like, how do you win to so many races? He's like, they figured out a lot of stuff before other people. Yeah. And in grassroots racing, especially sprint cars and stuff like that, you'll see a guy tear it up for a year, and he just figured out another way to do something on a car that's from 1982 in the first place. Right. You know, so. Well, you know, to me, grassroots racing is about the fans. That's where the fans get started because they get to know who the drivers are and what they're all about. And I know Kyle Larson recently made some comments about how we've disconnected on the quote-unquote big level of racing. We've gotten away from the fans. Do you guys feel like that's true? Well, I feel like um, the races got maybe too expensive or something because uh, when I raced in 2002, 3, 4, and 5, they were Bush races that were packed, Winston Cup races that were for sure packed, and now you watch on television and um, half the stands aren't full. And right now in the Monster Energy Series, there's really great racing right now. Yeah, I love the segment. Nope, can't buy one. I don't know. Can't afford it. It's too much, and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on television tv's a lot better than one lap at a time when you don't i want to know who ran into who i want to know why that guy's pit stop was 11.7 and not 12 you know i I, i'm into the little tiny things that it takes to to win just like you know kyle larson saying if, if if there's anyone that knows uh right now connection to uh, lower levels and keeping the fans mm-hmm. happy. It's Kyle Larson because he's played that. Um, he, he he's just been great at it. He's the guy that races all the time, and he's the first guy there, the last guy to sign autographs. He he doesn't you know he doesn't cheat out. He doesn't sneak off. You know he likes to be there and race and be there with the fans and selling t shirts and. Getting ready for the cup race on Sunday. Pressing the flesh. Uh, we'll be doing a lot of these, but as you can tell, we got two guys who not only grew up in motorsports, like a lot of us did down here in the South, but were connected to it both at the family level and the professional level. And with both Tyler and Shane's background, we'll be talking a lot about racing as we go. We'll have some drivers coming in for interviews on the phone, and plus probably some in the studio. Uh, but Shane, you have a passion to help others get their start in motorsports. Um, you obviously know about roadblocks. You had them. Mm-hmm. Both physical, metaphysical, drug abuse. How do you help people get their start in motorsports? Well, I think that um, I can help people, you know, get their start. I can I, I can more help people keep the ball rolling in their part of the sport, um, just for the simple fact of, you know, you can't really get it started, but once someone gets a ball rolling and they're a winning race car driver and people start to get a little bit of fire about them, that's when I feel like I could help someone and kind of point them in the right direction and right. know the right people to talk with and who to explain stuff 
through. Um, there's been drivers that that are up and comers now that are in the truck series that my dad has spoke with and they and I have spoke with and they've really took to it and listened and um, it's been something cool to do. And you have not only the experience and the knowledge, you know, a lot of people haven't been down the road of the good and the bad. Is that what made you start the foundation? Well, uh, the, you know, the foundation, I, I started it mainly because I know how hard it is to get out of the hospital. As Well, let me start this over. Shane Spark, that stands for... Um, sparking positive attitudes and recovering kids. And my main goal is I know what it was like to go from hospital life to real life paralyzed. And you think you about got it made hospital life paralyzed when you go home and you got to realize that, hey, every green light still turns green. You know, every red light still turns red. Life is still going on. Mm -hmm. You better catch up. And um, I've been lucky enough to have the family that I've got. Um, I've got a great, great family. I mean, my, and and I'm not talking about just my immediate family. I've got tons of them. But my three immediate family members do a lot for me. And I know that I wouldn't be as strong as I am to spread the word about, I, I, I want people to know that, you know, look around in the circle, somewhere in the room, you're going to go and someone's got it worse than you. And just know that, you know, everybody's got problems. Some you can see, some you can't, you know, you can see that I can't walk. I'm, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair, but if you didn't know, you wouldn't hear it in my voice. Um, it's, it's one of those things that to, who doesn't have a problem? If you don't, raise your hand because I can't see you because I don't believe you anyway. <laughs> I mean, just it's something that I really enjoy doing and I, I, I want to continue doing. I, I want to make people smile. And I, if I feel like I have a connection with someone, then I, I feel like, who knows, I might speak with someone for the next 20 years and he might teach me as much as I teach him. So if you want to check out the foundation, because that's really what seeing sparks, this podcast is going to do to help promote what Shane's doing. It's shanes-spark.com. That's the website for it. So this is our first podcast. We're going to be doing many throughout not only the racing season, but uh, throughout the year. And if you'd like to send some information to us, uh, you can actually email us. And Shane, what's the, what's the best email address for people to send info to us? And that includes questions, thoughts, uh, if you got stories, if you got somebody you want us to talk to, if you got, if you remember seeing Shane, whatever it is, look, this is about connecting to the people, by the people, for the people. This is a show that we sat here and have talked about for months. On our main goal is to connect with the fans and let the fans connect with us. And I tell you what, you just going to get my personal email. It's mealshane at gmail dot com. H-M-I-E-L-S-H-A-N-E at gmail.com. And you send me ideas, you send me questions, thoughts, you know, anything. Can we get so-and-so on here? Can we get blah, blah, blah? Can we talk about that? You know, anything that you want to hear, 
let us know. You know, it's not us, it's y'all. Thanks for listening to the first installment of Behind the Wheel on RacingJunk.com. Stay tuned each month as we introduce you to a new gearhead who continues to remind each of us why racing is and will continue to be not only a pastime, but a lifestyle.